Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Amen. Wow. Thank you, team. feel like we've been in the presence of Jesus. How about you? That's truly something. Thank you guys for coming. We've had two full services. Kudos to you guys. Way to show up today. If you caught us and, and you've been here, and this is your first time, and, or maybe it's your first time in a little bit, we are, you've caught us in the middle of a sermon series here at the beginning, the first Sunday of August. Can you believe it's already August? Where has this year gone? But we are taking time to get founded We're taking time in this specific series to dig deep, build up, and stand firm. And we're going to stand firm in these doctrines of the faith. We're going to stand firm in what it is we believe. And we're taking time to form a defense of the faith. The Bible word is apologia. That's where we get apologetics from. And so as we go through these doctrines, whether it's creation or the Trinity, who God is, or whether it's heaven and hell, or whether it's what we're going to cover today, all of these topics are things that you not only need to know personally, but you need to be able to stand firm in them. And part of standing firm in them is to be able to explain them and defend them to others. Just like Peter tells us to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us with meekness and fear. So we've got to do that. We've got to cover A couple more doctrines. This is week four. There's two more left. So we're a little bit over halfway. And today, if you've got a handout or maybe you're on the Bible app, you see the big $10 word today is soteriology. Soteriology is that $10 word and it means the doctrine of, are you ready? Substitution, propitiation, redemption, regeneration, imputation, justification, reconciliation, adoption, and sanctification. (laughs) You think we can cover that in 30 minutes? Oh, I love it. It's great. So if if you can't get down with all that, I'll give you a simple one. Soteriology is the doctrine of your salvation. It's the doctrine of the gospel. It's all about what is the gospel? What does the gospel entail? What is the gospel? And more importantly, what is not the gospel? So we're going to cover a few of those things. But before we get there, I've got a question about your kitchen. How many of you, when it comes to cooking, preparing a meal, you like to take the recipe and it's more or less just, it's a nice guideline, but you already know you're going to add some stuff, sprinkle in a little of this, change this up, maybe add a little flour, add a teaspoon of vanilla, add a cinnamon, whatever. You're going to create, you're going to be, you're just, you are a free spirit in the kitchen. You might look at the recipe once, but after that, you don't need it because the next time you cook it, you're going to do it your way and it's going to be 10 times better. Let me see those hands. Creative in the kitchen. Dude, yes, I appreciate you. I'm right there with you. I don't get to experience, uh, experiment much in the kitchen. I don't know anything about it, really. But I do, lo- <laughs> I do love to grill. And so I, when it comes to marinating meat, I've, I've marinated in just about the craziest thing you can come up with. I've marinated in applesauce before. That's good. I've marinated in jelly. I've marinated in all kinds of crazy stuff. You got to experiment And with your grilling, you just got to think outside the box and do crazy stuff. But with that creativity, with that um, free spirit, you you run a risk of some of your meals or when you take it off the grill, it's just like, what am I tasting? So some some things are a flop, but it's worth it, right? Because you're being creative. So let me say those hands one more time. Creative cooks, creative. All right, that's good. A little less than half. So who here is like, nope. Betty Crocker is a saint. I'm sure she has her own mansion. She made this recipe on purpose. I'm going to follow it. I don't deviate from the recipe. Good people have put in their blood, sweat, and tears into making this dish what it is. So I'm going to give them the credit they deserve. I'm going to follow it. We don't deviate. In fact, I don't know how to boil water without a recipe. Let me see those hands. Like you, you're going to follow the recipe to a T. Nobody? No recipe people? Good, Derek. Okay, Annabelle, you got two recipe people. Well, I don't know where my wife is. She's somewhere. 
I love my wife. She is a recipe follower. She, she, she goes by the recipe. She follows it step by step. And if it's not laid out for her in a cookbook or a card, it ain't happening. But the, the, the good news is that it always comes out. Like if you're the, that kind of person, 99.9% of the times, if you follow the recipe, it's going to turn out. With the gospel, we have a sovereign formula. We have, a, we have an ordained recipe that when we deviate from, it's not going to turn out. The gospel is one of those things that you have to have the steps. You have to have the formula. You have to have the recipe. And if you go adding to it or taking away from it or messing around with it, you no longer have the gospel. It's kind of like this. If I were up here waving around a $100 bill and I said, it's free to the taker. Just come up here, grab it. It's yours. First one up here, you get a hundred bucks. You taking me out, you're probably going to fight somebody to get to me first. You might tackle me off the stage. And that's fine because you got $100. But the part I forgot to tell you is that it's monopoly money. Does that change it for anyone? You still coming up here? No? Why not? Because it doesn't hold any value. You can't use that $100 unless you're in the middle of a monopoly game at home. And somehow you got $100 richer, but more than likely, none of us are going to be able to take that $100 and use it at the gas station or at the restaurant we go to because it's counterfeit, it's fake, it doesn't hold value. But if I had a $5 bill or maybe 10 and said, all right, is this, this isn't 100 but at least it's real. Anybody coming to get it? Anybody taking it? Any takers? $5? $10? There's two of them. Free money for the taking. All you got to do is get out of your seat and come get it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Oh man. You got it. Hey, Christina, you owe, no, no, no. Listen, you owe this five to your husband because he bet me you'd be first and you were. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Brandon, you're right. My man, my man. He's like, he said, if you do that again in the second service, I will guarantee you Christina will be first. So he was right. He knows his wife very well. But why, why would somebody run up here to get five bucks or 10 bucks when I offered a hundred earlier? Because even though it's, it's, it's a smaller denomination, it's real money. It holds value. It's the real thing. And what I'm trying to say to us is it's important where we land on the doctrine of the gospel. If we start spreading a message that isn't in this book, if we deviate, if we mess with it, if we add to it or take away from it, we're offering a counterfeit. That's not real. And Paul has a solemn warning for us, and that'll be our text for today. If, if you'd like to stand, we're going to read it from Galatians chapter 1. What had happened was, to give you a little context, you can stand. Go ahead. We're going to read it off the screen here in just a moment. But just to give you a little context, what happened was in Paul's day, after Jesus had come to the earth, he's, he's, he's presented himself as the sacrifice. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He's gone. He's left it to the church planners. They're spreading the good word. And, he's, and Paul is addressing this church of Galatia that he has given the gospel to. And then people have come in. They've come in and they've started spreading another gospel. And Paul says, all right, beware of that legalism. Beware of that Judaism. The Judaizers is what they were called. And they said, yes, it's Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. But if you want to keep your salvation, if you want to really be saved, you better follow the law. If you want to get to heaven, it's Jesus, but you better live right. You better, men, you better get circumcised if you want to be in heaven one day. So they were presenting a message of Jesus plus. And this is what Paul has to say about our so great salvation. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting. You know what that word means in Greek? Shifting your position. Does that sound like being founded? Uh-uh. They were shifting their position on him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, the one the Judaizers presented. And then he says, not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and would want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, remember, this is Paul, this is the apostle Paul. 
looked up to in both his day and in, in our day, like 2,000 years later, we're still giving him the reverence he deserves. He wrote, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote like half the Bible. I mean, half the New Testament is Paul. So he's saying, listen, even if I or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The word is anathema. The word means damned. And then he says it again, verse nine. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be damned. It matters where we land on the gospel. It's a recipe we cannot be creative with. It's a recipe we cannot change. It's a gospel we can neither subtract from or add to. Let's pray, and then you may be seated. God, help us as we study your word, and we get a brief course through a bunch of different counterfeit gospels that are presented to us as truth. Help us to be discerning. Help us to land firmly on exactly what the gospel is and help us to share it and not hold it captive. Help us to evangelize the world as the Great Commission tells us to do in Matthew 28, 19. God, we're thankful so much for this message. It's in your name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. Here we go. If you're going to fulfill our God-given mandate, then we have to make sure what we're selling is the real thing. We need to be founded in the genuine original gospel. I say that because my Uncle Roz always says that phrase. He restores tractors. He loves old things. And anytime around him, he's like, hey, don't, hey, don't, don't mess with that, Bubba. That's the genuine original part. Or that's the genuine original tractor. Or that's the genuine original whatever he's showing me. And it's like, okay, okay. He... But the reason that it holds value is because it's the original thing. It's in, it's in its genuine, original state. And he's preserved it. He's kept it that way. So we have a gospel. We, we hold a message that is still in its genuine, original state. And if we mess with that, it no longer has the power to save. If we mess with that, then we're presenting a counterfeit message that has no value. We could be running around this morning. We could take over Columbia and just hand out tons of Monopoly money, but we would be doing no good to anybody. We have to make sure the gospel we're sharing is the real thing. And that's what a good bank teller does when they study counterfeit bills. You know what? They've done a lifetime before that. They study the real thing. Bank tellers, money people, you study the real thing. And then from there, you observe the ways the counterfeit bills are, don't add up. So let's talk about what the gospel is. Let's study the real thing this morning. And then I'm going to show you a few that take away. And I'm going to show you a few messages that add to in a sermon entitled Counterfeit Gospels. You ready? So first, the word gospel means good news. That's what we hold. We hold the best news out there. We've got the greatest news. It's good news because it's God intervening on behalf of mankind who's lost and without him. The good news is described for us in 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of the best places you can go to to explain what, you, what, what is this Christian gospel? What exactly do you mean by the gospel? What is this good news? Paul lays it out for us. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, in which you what? Stand. We got to get founded in this thing. So what is it? And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. Here we go. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. You ready? Number one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Folks, in its simplicity, in all of its, in all of the deep things of scripture, when we boil down the gospel, when we boil down to, to the message that has the power to regenerate lives, when we boil it down to the, the, the one thing that brings a dead person on his way to hell and regenerates him into life on his way to heaven, it is the simple fact that Christ died for our sin, was buried and rose again the third day. 
So simple that even a child could understand. That's what the Bible says. God says, let the children come unto me. It says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into heaven. And you know what he was surrounded with when he said that? Children. He said that while children were clamoring around him and the Jews told him to go away because he knew that these kids with their childlike faith had a better chance of receiving this message than the adults, than the Jewish traditional adults. Because to us, it seems so simple. Is that it? Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. That's the gospel? Oh man, if that's it, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess that's it. But the message is so rich. We could spend a lifetime, we could spend the rest of our days here together at Decided Church and we could do sermon after sermon after sermon about the gospel. And we would never get tired. We would never grow old of this message that has the power. Remember all those words? We talked about substitution, propitiation, redemption, regeneration, imputation, justification, reconciliation, adoption, and sanctification. And those are just the shuns of the gospel, the T-I-O-N-S's of the gospel. It contains all of that and more. The gospel is so rich, so deep, yet so simple. And the reason why people distort it, the reason why people come along and pervert it, the reason why people come along and want to add to it or take away from it is because it's offensive. It's so simple it offends people. They're looking for something more. The, the gospel offends our pride. Think about it. You mean that all this stuff I've built my life on, this, I, I, you, don't know what I, you don't know where I came from. I had nothing. I pulled myself up from my bootstraps. I made a life for myself. I made a name for myself. I've been a good person. And that better matter as much to God as it matters to me. Do you see where the gospel comes in? It's like the best you have to offer is filthy rags. That offends our pride. That offends our pride because we feel like we have so many good works to offer. We have, we have a leg to stand on before God. And he says, nope, unless you've measured up to perfection, it's not good enough. Your righteousness, your right, the, the best that you have to offer is filthy rags. It offends our pride. It offends our wisdom and knowledge. This, the simpleness of the message it comes off like, well, well there's got to be more. I mean, this is the God of the universe. This is the God who created everything. There's got to be more to the gospel than just Jesus. But what they don't understand is that although it's a simple message, it is not cheap. It costs Christ his life. So the, these words may be easy to say. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. They may present historical facts. But when we make them personal, it's not cheap. It means the world. So how do we present it? It's one, thing, it's one thing to know the facts of the gospel. It's another thing to share it, to present it. If you go out today and, and, and make you up a sign and go stand on a corner downtown and shout at people, Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day. How effective do you think that will be? It might be effective for one or two bold people that have the audacity to approach you. But 99% of the time, people are going to be like, Scratching their head and walking away. Like, what is this guy? So we have to know how to present the gospel. And this is what it really boils down to. You can apply this to your testimony. You can apply this to the Romans road. You can apply this to whatever way you'd like to share the gospel. These are the essential elements of the gospel. Man's problem. Number one, sin is man's problem. This is what separates us. This is why we need a savior because we don't measure up to the standard of perfection. We're not righteous. We can never meet a holy God on his terms. And this one should be easy for you to understand. Most people will readily admit that they're sinners. But just in case we have a few here or there this morning that's like, I'm not, no, I'm not a sinner. I've, I've lived my life good. I've, I've stacked up a lot of righteousness. Come see me after the service because I am the biggest sinner in this room. And I'm sure there's an area where we can relate, which makes you a sinner also. So we're all sinners. This is, this is the problem. This is step one to present this problem of sin. Sin is what separates me from a holy God. There's a gap. There's a great chasm, the Bible says in Luke 16, between man and God. 
And the beauty of the gospel is that God could have ended it there, but he didn't. He offers a solution. He came up with a way to reconcile man to God. What was God's solution? Jesus. Jesus is God's solution to man's sin problem. Jesus is the very nature of God in the flesh. He came, lived a perfect life, died a bloody, cruel death on the cross. A death, by the way, that we should have died. That was our cross. Was buried and rose again the third day. Jesus is that solution. He's the one that bridges the gap. He's the one that makes it possible for us to get to God. But that's not, if we end the story there, that's not the full gospel. Yes, we're a sinner. Yes, Jesus came to take care of our sin problem. But not every one of us is going to heaven. There's a third part. It's called man's responsibility. When you're sharing the gospel, share these three things. Man's problem, God's solution, man's responsibility. What is our responsibility to this message? Is our responsibility to accumulate good works to impress God? Is our responsibility to uh, show up every Sunday and, and check the box that we were in church? We did our religious thing. Surely God must see that. Our responsibility spelled out all over scripture is one word, is faith. Faith. Faith is man's responsibility to accept God's solution on my behalf. And what is faith? That's, that's a word we, it's a churchy word. We throw it around a lot. What does faith mean? It really breaks down into two things, choice and trust. Choice and trust. That's what faith is. When I was waving around the $10, Christina had to make a choice to get up and then she had to trust that by the time she got up here that I was really going to hand off the money. She had faith in that illustration. She had faith in me. And this is it. This is faith. Faith is simply believing what God said he will do. God said, I'm sending my son to be the substitution for your sin. If you receive him, you will have eternal life and a home in heaven. Faith is saying what God said he will do. Faith is choice and trust. And by the way, that choice to believe Jesus means you're eliminating other options. Faith means there is no plan B. Faith means I don't get to have one leg on Jesus and one leg on my good works in case Jesus bails. And faith, in, in case Jesus isn't good enough or somehow I end up at those pearly gates and Jesus is like, oh, who are you again? Faith is saying, I choose Jesus and I choose Jesus alone. Setting my righteousness aside, setting my good works aside, setting my church membership aside. I choose Jesus, him alone. And then that trust part, that's the rely, reliance upon, depend upon. Full weight. The full weight of your trust is placed in Jesus. That's the gospel. So why would somebody want to pervert or distort it? Because it's offensive. There's two primary ways where this message is messed with. You got people, you got cooks in the kitchen who take away from the recipe, and then you have cooks in the kitchen who want to add to it. So we're going to talk about these two diversions, these two distortions of the gospel. Are you ready? The first one is intellectual salvation. We all know these people who say something like this. Oh, I believe in God. I grew up in a Christian home. Oh, I've always been a Christian. I was born into it. Oh, I, I, I know I'm going to heaven. I, um, my, my mama raised me in church. That's intellectual salvation. That's not the gospel. Nobody can be born into salvation. You don't get to claim your faith based upon somebody else's faith. It's got to be a personal, individual choice and trust. The Bible says this, you know it, Romans 10, 9. And it kind of clears up this intellectual salvation where some of us in, in the Bible Belt, in the Southeast, we're like, oh, everybody's going to heaven. I grew up in a Christian home. Of course I know God. Romans 10, 9 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your head? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Have, have the intellectual knowledge? No. 
No, the Bible says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's 18 inches between the head and the heart. Has the gospel made that transfer for you? It has to be personal. It has to be individual. You don't get into heaven by piggybacking on somebody else's faith, whether it's your mom, dad, church, or a Christian home. It's got to be you. So an intellectual salvation subtracts from the gospel. It cheapens the message. What's another one? Easy believism. That may be a new term for you. It's also known as Gnosticism. And this is like that card you get while you're playing. A lot of Monopoly references today. If you've played Monopoly, you know there's that card in the deck, in the chance deck. If you draw it, you get out of jail free. And some people treat this gospel as a license to live however they want to go. They treat the gospel like, well, I've got my get out of jail free card. Jesus, duh. So I am going to party until there's no tomorrow. I'm going to live however I want to live because at the end of my life, I get to go to heaven. That's what the Bible says. Jesus saved me. This is, again, this is not the gospel. This is cheapening grace. This is taking away from the recipe. Why? Look at what Galatians 5.13 says. Galatians is kind of our home base this morning. We're going to be all over it. But as Paul says here, for you were called to freedom. So make no mistake about it. Yes, the gospel frees you. There, there is liberation. The Bible says in John is abundant life. There is freedom. But look at how Paul follows it up. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What are you supposed to do with our freedom then? But through love, serve one another. The gospel does free us. It frees us up to love and serve. It doesn't free us up to live like a heathen. Don't take away, don't cheapen the grace of the gospel. Easy believism or Gnosticism is not the gospel. James 2 says, by the way, if your faith is real, it'll be followed up by works. It'll be followed up by lifestyle. Not that works is necessary for salvation, but if your salvation is genuine, there's going to be fruit on that tree. What's another one? Reformed theology. Now, I want to be careful with this one because there's a lot of great people who fall right here in this comfortable little wedge known as Calvinism or Reformed theology. The basis says this, God's sovereignty has already chosen who goes to heaven. You can't resist his grace. Well, that would be wonderful if it were in the Bible. Unfortunately, it's not. It's not there. The Bible says, these are, I just gave three. If, you, if you're on the Bible app, I only gave you one reference. The handout has more. But there are references all over the Bible that Christ wants all men. In other words, God desires all men. Not some, all men to be saved. Let me show you 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4 because this one is becoming more prevalent again. It says this, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, let me ask you a question. If God desires all people to be saved, then why didn't he choose all people? If his desire is for all men to be saved, certainly he has the power to choose all those people to be saved then. There's more to this. There's 1 John 2, 2, that Christ died for everyone, not just some. The Calvinistic teaching is limited atonement. Christ's blood only covers a certain elect people. That is not biblical. Christ's blood covers everyone. And then John 5, Jesus himself says to the Jewish people around him, he says, you are going to reject me. But wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought his grace was irresistible. But Jesus point blank tells bunches of Jewish people that they're going to turn away. They're going to reject God's grace. It's also what it says in John 1, 11 and 12. It says the Jewish people rejected him, but as many as did receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. 
So you absolutely have a free will. You can absolutely turn Jesus away. You can absolutely shut the door to his grace. You can. We have the free will. God will not force himself on anyone. So be careful of that reformed theology. It's a counterfeit gospel. It takes away from the purity of the message. We got cooks in the kitchen who are messing with the recipe. Don't do it. Now, we've got some cooks who are adding to. They want to add, they want to sprinkle in some of their own flavors and it distorts and then we have a counterfeit gospel and the recipe's going to flop. It's not going to be any good. Let's look at these quickly and we'll be done. Lordship salvation. This gospel message, which, by the way, I just said a bad word, I'm sorry. <laughs> this gospel message, which, by the way, let me get all my consonants in order here. <laughs> This one, this one might be the, the most poisonous. It's so sneaky. It's so distorted. It's so perverted, but it sneaks into our Christianity. It sneaks into the gospel, but it's a sham. Let me show this to you. Have you ever heard this phrase? If Christ isn't Lord of all, then he's not savior at all. Anybody? You ever heard that phrase? If Christ isn't Lord of all, then he's not savior at all. Man, we hear this all the time. We hear this concept of if Christ isn't Lord over your life, then he's not Savior. In other words, they're combining lordship and salvation and it was as if it's the same thing. And we have to stand firm and founded in the gospel and say no. Why? Because first of all, you don't have the power to give over the lordship of your life until he is savior. So you're already getting the cart before the horse. That'd be like an alcoholic or, a, or somebody who's addicted to drugs saying, I've got to get rid of those things. I've got to make Christ the Lord over those things if I'm ever going to get saved. That's backwards because the Bible teaches us that when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we accept him, he begins the work. He begins to transform us. There are no barriers of entry to the gospel message. It is easy. Remember, it is simple for us to come to Jesus. Even a child could do it because the message is simple. Christ died for sin, was buried, and rose again the third day. What's your responsibility to that message? Faith. It. It's not faith plus cleaning up your life. It's not faith plus turning over all these areas to the Lordship of Christ. Listen, I've been saved for quite a while and I am still working on Lordship. And if you're honest, you are too. Working on Christ truly in every area, in every room, in every department of your life, turning it over to God, letting Him be Lord over it. That's a full time job, baby. Second of all, that's a lot of work. So then we would have works-based salvation. If lordship salvation is true, that's a work. Don't forget, the Holy Spirit that began a good work in you will be faithful to what? Complete it. Who's, who's faithful to complete it? Me and you? No, the Spirit. You got He's got to be Savior first to become Lord, not the other way around. If you're presenting a lordship message, you are presenting a works-based salvation. It's not the real thing. There's scriptures there for that. Ephesians 2.1, you want to look at it really quick and we'll go. Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. What can a dead man do? You ever seen a dead man sit up and comb his hair, brush his teeth, fix his cufflinks? then how is a dead person supposed to make Christ the Lord of their life? Can't do it. The power is in Jesus. He must be Savior first in order to be Lord. And then he follows it up and says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. Lordship is your own doing. So this can't be salvation. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Where do the good works come in? Where does the lordship come in? Where does the discipleship come in? After salvation. Another one is the legalistic gospel. 
This one is also tricky. It's everywhere in today's age. Yes, Jesus saves you. Of course he does. It's all Jesus. But you have to live right to keep your, to keep your faith. To, to, if, if you want to end up in heaven one day, yes, it's Jesus. But you, have, you better have a lifestyle that backs it up. We've heard this. This is, this is, what makes this so dangerous is that it's subjective to any one person's opinion, rule, act, or view. One denomination is going to differ from another on this. One preacher may be different from another preacher on this. And this is exactly what Paul was dealing with in his age where the Judaizers came in and presented a Jesus plus message. The recipe's good, but let's add a little bit of legalism. Let's add a little bit of circumcision. Let's add a little bit of the law. And what does Paul say in Galatians 5.1? It's so clear. It's so crystal clear, clear what he says in Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm again and again. We're getting reminded to be founded in this gospel. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. can't do it. Oh no, that wasn't the right verse for that. Sorry. They're like, what is he going to Galatians 5.1 for? Legalistic gospel. Jesus saves you, but you have to live right to keep it. Okay. The real verse is as uh, Galatians 2.21. But by the way, we're skipping 1 Peter 1.5, which says we're kept by the power of God. We're kept by the power of God. We're not kept by our own power. Look at how Paul phrases it in 2.21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, folks, if that couldn't be any more clear, do you know what he's saying? You are slapping Jesus in the face if you say that you have to live right to stay saved. That is a mockery of his blood and his life. If you're saying somehow by the way I live. Listen, if your righteousness wasn't good enough to get you saved, it's certainly not good enough to keep you saved. That's the Bible. Now let's follow this up. In chapter three, he says this. We're gonna go on. This is all one thought. He begins the next chapter by saying this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit? In other words, salvation. Did you receive it by works of the law or hearing with faith? What's the answer? hearing with faith. You heard the gospel and received it. And so he says this, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, you must be an idiot if you think your flesh is going to keep you saved. It is only by God's power. So we've got to be careful of a legalistic gospel that adds to Christ. A poverty gospel, this is the one we already read the verse for, this is known as asceticism. This is known as I must consistently deny myself and live set apart to earn God's favor. I got to sell everything and live like a monk in a shack separated from the world. I got to be so holy that I'm unapproachable. I got to be so set apart that I don't even know how to relate with people. I got to be so set apart that I'm not even, I don't, worldliness can't, doesn't even touch me. I'm just like aloof. And you have certain Christians, you have certain sects of Christianity, S-E-C-T-S. You have different <laughs> categories of Christianity that live off apart like this. It's not right. Why? Because Paul reminds us in Galatians 5.1, stand firm in opposition to any yoke or burden of religion. Do not say, hey, listen, Christ saved you for freedom. Don't, put, don't take this freedom and then run right back into a yoke of legalism or slavery. You are free in Christ. And there is no bondage, there is no rule, there is no opinion, there is no act that you can add to the gospel. First Timothy, Paul says, listen, the generosity we're called to comes from a place of abundance. There's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with a career. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with status. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We're not called to asceticism. But the reason you've been given those gifts where it says in James, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, nothing wrong with stuff. But remember why you have it. You have it to be generous to others. You have it to be a blessing to the world around you. 
but don't buy into a poverty gospel. That is asceticism that is adding to a message that is already perfect. Remember, it's a sovereign ordained recipe, a holy formula. And then prosperity gospel, you may know this one. It's a little more well-known. It's a little more talked about, but this is the gospel that says, by the way, there isn't another one. There's only one. But this is the gospel that says physical and financial blessing is God's will for you if you have enough faith, if you can conjure up enough faith, if you can work yourself up into a faith frenzy and say, by Jesus' name, I'm going to get $1,000 today. If you want to swipe right here, I'll get you a blessing on the way out. There's preachers who do that. (laughs) Look it up on YouTube. They wear credit card receipts right here, and they say, if you want a blessing today, come up in Jesus' name. You swipe your card right here and see if God doesn't bless you. Guys, that's dangerous. (laughs) Y'all don't want me with that kind of power. (laughs) It sounds really good trying to raise money for a building, but I don't think we're going to go there. But you have people that say, if you give to this ministry, I'm going to send you a prayer rock. Put it under your pillow and see if you get a blessing. If you give to this ministry, if you give to this televangelist, I'll send you a prayer cloth. Just rub it. And it's all, it's all prosperity gospel. It's all soaked in filth. It reminds me of the Old Testament when they would run around their altars of their false gods, cutting themselves, trying to work themselves into a frenzy. Our faith is not to be manipulated. This faith, this precious faith, that was bought by the blood of Jesus, we don't manipulate it. We don't play tricks with it. That is adding to a gospel that is already signed, sealed, and delivered. How do I know this to be true? Because 1 Peter 4 says, I'm called to rejoice in my suffering. My prosperity? I'm called to rejoice in my faith healing? No, I'm called to rejoice in my suffering because I share it with Christ. James 1 says, it's a win to go through trials. Not a loss. You're not taking the L. You're taking a W when you go through trials. Doesn't sound like prosperity gospel to me. Philippians 3, Paul says this, and we'll look at this one. He says this, indeed, I count everything as loss. After we're done reading this, just tell me, does this sound like a prosperity message? Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Man, but if you can conjure up enough faith If you can get your faith worked up into a holy lather, you can claim that a million dollars and see if it won't be true. You can claim healing over that tumor. You can claim healing over your cancer. Guys, that's not the gospel. That's a prosperity message. It's manipulating the faith bought with the blood of Jesus. So we can't get behind a poverty gospel. No, and we certainly can't get behind a prosperity gospel, which leaves us only one place to be. In the middle claiming, you know what kind of gospel we do have? Do you know what kind of gospel we can all celebrate and rally around this morning? No, it's not a poverty gospel. No, it's not a prosperity gospel or any of the other gospels, which are not. You know what we have? We have a generosity gospel. That's where I live. That's the message of the cross. The generosity and love of a father to send a son to be the savior of the world. A love and gen- the, the generosity of the God of the universe who would look on lowly Jim and say, he's worth saving. I'm gonna send my son to go get him, to pay a price for him with his life, to be buried and to rise triumphantly from the third day. And he says, if you want that resurrection power, you can have it. If you want my everlasting life, you can have it. If you want relationship with God, you can have it. It comes at a great price. That's already been paid. Simply receive it. Just like Christina received the five, ten dollars. We have a God who's so generous that he spared nothing to offer us eternal life, a home in heaven, a second chance, a brand new life. What's our responsibility to the message then? If it's not legalism and it's not poverty and it's not prosperity and it's not all the other isms and 
messages out there, what is our responsibility? Take the gift. Accept it. Place your faith in Jesus for the first time. Listen, you can't piggyback your way into heaven. It's not, it's not that you were born into it. It's not that you've known who God is. The Bible says the demons know who God is. It's not just knowing about God like we know about George Washington or we know that Tom Brady was, oh, I don't know, only the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> the, way we, the way we know Jesus is a personal, individual choice. I was reminded of this generosity gospel this week. We've had, if, if you were here last Sunday, you know it's a little different. And, and we had a pastor step down and then after that was done, we had a meeting that Sunday night about the land and, and all that it entails. And I'm just sitting there, and it sounds like an auction. And we're trying to come up with a budget, how much we're going to potentially spend on land so we can find a lender who will loan us the amount of money. And it's just like, two million. Do I hear a three? I got three. Do I hear a 3.5? Okay, four. And it was just like, I don't I just, you know, it's just going out of control. It's just spinning out of control, all these dollars. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. What is money? I don't, I mean, let's blow it. Let's blow it together, whatever. We're only here once, right? YOLO. Let's just blow it all and have a great church, right? That's how I felt leaving, but that wasn't, that's not true, but that's how I felt. So I came in on Sunday and I was on, I came in on Monday, that is, came into the church and I'm just like, okay, what next? What now, God? I've done what you've told me to do. There's a weight lifted. There's a burden off my shoulder that that you've lifted, that you've taken away, what now? We're heading into this new season, potentially having a building. Like what, what now? I feel like so inadequate. I feel so underprepared. I feel like I gotta, it's time to put my big boy pants on. You know what I mean? Like this church is relying on me to lead into a new season and it's daunting and it's scary and I feel so inadequate. <laughs> All by my lonesome here. Not really, but you know. You get in your feelings. And then the mail lady came. I've never been so excited that the mail lady came, right? I get lonely here by myself. And it's like, I would talk to a cricket if it came, if it came across my path. Like, Alyssa, there was a stray dog. I, I don't, I'm not an animal person. No offense to those who are, but there was a stray dog like a week ago. And I spent my whole day with a stray dog, trying to rescue a dog. That's how lonely I get. So... You know it takes a lot. For, anyway, the mail lady came. Not a stray dog, not a, tr not a cricket, but the mail lady comes. She hands me a couple packages, and then she's like, I got the paper mail too. So I take the paper mail. Mail. I open an envelope, and, and I pull out a check. It's not, from, it's not a personal check. It's from a charitable organization thingy. And I had, to, I had to blink and rub my eyes and blink again. I thought in my delirious state of Monday, you know how Mondays are. I thought it was adding zeros to this check, but it was real. I opened up a check on Monday just to prove a generosity gospel. Opened up a check on Monday for $30,000. That's crazy. And God was just saying, listen, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. I've seen it all before. I've done it all before. I'll do it again. You just remain steadfast. You just stay in your lane. You just preach this book. You just stay true to a generosity gospel. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. There's plenty here. You'll, you could spend a lifetime and you will not exhaust the power and the, the, the mysterious and majestic gospel that I have given through Jesus. It is so rich. It is so deep. And it is so simple. Spend your life preaching a generosity gospel and just see what happens. I'll sprinkle in a little Monday blessing for you. Here's 30 grand. I got, I got 100 million billion more. What's 30 grand? You need it. I don't need it. You need it. Fine. Here's a little bit. And, and that just reminded me Monday and going to a new season and, and just a new, just an, an, a new a turnover, a new leaf. And it was just like, wow, God is still in this. We still have the power that changes lives at our disposal. We have a gracious and generous God. Anybody with me today that's thankful? No, it ain't about poverty. It's not about prosperity either, but it's a generosity gospel. That's where I live. That's where I live and breathe. I want to be right here in my lane, preaching the word, seeing lives changed. There was two lives changed this morning.
because of a generosity gospel that was preached. How about you? Every head bowed and every eye closed. What about you? Have you been piggybacking? We're in the Bible Belt, the Southeast. Have you just... Have you just thought and assumed you were a Christian because, well, I mean, I've always known who God is. I was born into this. You don't get born into Christianity that way. you got to make it personal. You have to receive Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to add up your good works and trying to impress God with your life, how that you've made something of yourself when all the odds were stacked against you. That's a great motivational talk but to God is filthy rags. He could care less what you've made out of your life if you don't have Jesus. Maybe you have been so busy trying to turn over every area to you, trying to make him Lord, and you're frustrated because you're trying to live a Christian life without the power. You're trying to make him Lord before he's even Savior at all. With every head bowed, every eye closed today, if that's you and, and you're ready to make a choice to trust Jesus, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. I see one hand. Thank you. Maybe it's your first time. You thought you had this thing figured out, but today for the first time you're realizing, no, I have to make an individual personal choice to receive Jesus. I need his power to change my life. There's no cleanup work I have to do. There's no renovation of my heart that I have to do. I can't, I would never be able to clean it up enough to impress God. He wants me, as the old hymn says, just as I am. Come to him just as you are with all your baggage, with all your worries, with all your fears, with all your anxiousness. He'll take care of it. He knows just what to do with it. Anybody else? We have all the time in the world. There's one hand. Do I have another? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this gospel message that has the power to regenerate hearts. I'm thankful today that all we have to do to come to you is simply to, to rely on the fact that Jesus took our place, that he died the death we should have died. He was buried and he rose again the third day in fullness of resurrection power. And he says, that can be yours. Just take it. Receive the gift, everlasting life, a home in heaven, a relationship with God. It's yours for the taking. Just receive it. Accept it by faith. Thank you for the one that was born again this morning in this place today. We are so grateful for your generosity gospel. And that's the message we give our lives to. We've got the hope of the world. We've got the message that has the power to save. And so for that, we say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. To that message, to that generosity, we say, though none go with me, still I will follow. To that generosity gospel, we say, the cross before me, the world behind me. Take it all, Jesus. We only want you. We've given our lives to this message. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.